Welcome to Leading in E-Commerce, a podcast bringing together top industry minds to explore strategies, opportunities, and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the world's leading e-commerce accelerator. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This is a special edition podcast, and we are very thrilled to welcome Neil Patel to the show. This is leading up to Accelerate. So Accelerate is going to be happening in about eight weeks from now. And we thought it'd be cool because Neil Patel is going to be speaking at the event. We thought it'd be great to have him on as well. And and uh, he was one of our favorite guests last year in this session and uh, at the at the entire event, actually. He was one of the most popular and so literally backed by popular demand, we're excited to welcome Neil to the show today. If you don't know Neil, he is what we referred to last year as like the demigod of SEO and all things content marketing. He is, uh, I mean, just Google him and you're going to find a whole range of YouTube videos and, um, you know, blog posts and, and interviews. He has been, you know, named as a top influencer by the Wall Street Journal. He's a top 10 marketer by Forbes. He's a top 100 entrepreneur uh, by the age of 30 for Barack Obama. So all the accolades all the time. Welcome to the show, Neil. Uh, thanks for having me. You want to know what's funny about your event last year? So do you remember how you guys had the gambling at nighttime? Yes. So me and my buddies, we were cleaning house. <laughs> I was gambling there. It was all fake money, but you, you can win real prizes. Yeah. Yeah. And we were playing, I think it was Baccarat, right? It was Baccarat. Yeah. And we were going all in literally every single time. And we were on such a hot streak. We just made a killing so much so that we would have won pretty much any one of the prizes up there. And I remember we were just cleaning house at the table we were at and other people were losing. And sometimes we'd be like all in. And then we're like, ah, we don't want to bet this round. Then we go all in and we're just getting lucky. <laughs> and I remember there's this lady and she had a business with her brother. And we were just cleaning out and just taking her money. Technically, we were yeah, yeah. using the chips. We were winning them. And you could just see she was getting bummed. So after we won a lot, we're just like, here you go. And she was stoked. And then I think she got a bike or whatever she picked. <laughs> Because like I didn't care for the prizes, I was just having so much fun gambling, yeah. and people were looking at us like, "You guys are crazy." Because I flew down with some of my buddies, right? Yeah. We were gambling it up, and I remember my buddy Nate, who's with me, he loves gambling. Uh, he's not addicted, but he loves gambling. He was teaching the dealer how to play. And the dealer's like, "No, this." He's like, "He's like my guy. I play this every like week." Here's the rule. <laughs> But we're having tons of fun. Well, we're going to be bringing that. Uh, so we expect you to be at the tables as well this year. It was one of those things where I was like, I don't know if we want to bring it back again. And so many people loved it. We heard so many good things and very similar. We've got a guy that's like a, you know, amateur gambler on the team. And he was just doing really, really well. And uh, eventually just gave all his chips to somebody else too. But I think that's like the joy. It was just like make someone's night that's just like beside themselves. And all of a sudden they're winning a TV or a bike or, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah, and like with me, I'm like, I'm not going to win a bike and then lug it all the way from Utah to <laughs> Vegas. It's going to cost me more to lug it all over than it is to buy a bike in, you know, Vegas or a TV or whatever it may be. And, yeah. But also, it wasn't even the pricing. Like you said, it was about winning. And I just had so much fun. And then the moment that lady, I gave her all my chips, she was so happy. I was happy. I was like, here you go, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Well, 
again, we're so, so stoked for you to come back again this year. I remember, um, I think, moderating the panel that you were doing last year. And one of the things that sticks out from that panel was this woman asked a question and you started to basically deconstruct her whole business model, her paid strategy, her organic, her earned strategy. Like you just started to go down and ask these rapid fire questions. And that was why, you know, A, we wanted to bring you back, but B, I thought, man, we should probably try to do like a workshop. There was not enough, but you basically gave like a free consulting session. So maybe that's the first question I have is just, you know, you are able to kind of synthesize after having done this for so long, so many like data points uh, extraneously at once. Like, what do you look for? What are the main things? Like if you're going to break down someone's business and deconstruct it the way you did in that session, what are the main questions you're asking in terms of pressure testing their strategy and the way that they're doing everything when it comes to uh, you know, traffic creation and conversion? So first thing I look at is uh, market. What market are you in and how big is that market? Then I look at your revenue. Revenue tells me how big or portion of the market that you've actually captured. Then I look at uh, what channels you're leveraging right now to generate your sales. Then I look at what's working for you and what hasn't worked for you. And usually those questions will tell me, all right, what can the business do to quickly just grow their numbers? And what do you find? Like, obviously there's not a lot they could do if they're in the wrong category, unless I guess they kind of jump and go to some like, you know, sister category or, or yeah. parallel category. category. What are some of like the, you know, gotcha, not gotchas, but like what are the most common denominators that you end up finding as you do these exercise time and time again? Um, we don't do the upsells and downsells. So like if you sell toothbrushes, you're not selling toothpaste. You're not selling teeth whitening, right? Yeah. And I know Colgate sells all of it, but we're not Colgate. And yeah, majority yeah. of people will just stick with it. I'm just giving a random example. Majority of people will be like, here's a toothbrush. What about the toothpaste, the teeth whitening, the floss, the Listerine, you know, like you name it. They're not adding the rest. When you add the rest, it really increases your quote unquote total addressable market and it increases yeah. your revenue per customer. Um, subscriptions is another one. The other thing is we look at what channels people do. Most people stick with like, oh, Facebook ads works really well or TikTok works really well. And that's it. And it's just like, well, have you tried search? Have you tried Amazon? And they're not taking a universal approach. Uh, PayPal is another big missing link that we see in commerce. So typically we see a 16 to 18% increase in revenue from people's own website sales when they just add PayPal as a payment option. I kid you not. It's like the the biggest cheat out there. <laughs> Do you find the same thing with other like Google pay or Amazon pay or Apple pay and, and some of those? No, same not things? as much. We see PayPal for some reason driving more. I don't know I'm why. Weird. It feels like they have a better like buyer protection type of uh, at least brand or actual offering into the market in terms of, I know sometimes when I buy something, I will use PayPal on the rare occasion. If I feel like I maybe don't trust the seller as much, or I'm afraid it's going to be like, it's going to scam me. Um, that's, that's kind of interesting to kind of think through. Well, I, I look at it as like, you don't need to make it like NASCAR where you have all the logos, but yeah, yes, card, PayPal, maybe Apple pay or Google pay a few of those yeah. and you're good to go. That's good. I, I feel like I just used Apple pay yesterday cause I didn't have my credit card with me. And I always forget like the three digit code on the back and Apple pay is like, if you got face, I do it. It's like, automatically. yeah, it, it's, really it, it's great. I use it too. I, I just paid a. Uh, uh, blood tests or medical bill for my wife. She was just going to the hospital. It was like $29 copay or whatever yeah, yeah. else. Double click. I was like, double click. All right. Credit cards <laughs> entered. Makes it so convenient from a conversion aspect. 
Yeah, just shift that. It's awesome. Okay, so you kind of look for these adjacencies up front, and that's really kind of like a microcosm, I think, in in terms of almost like um, SEO, right? Like all the different keywords you could be playing for that becomes like a product categorization. That's really, really fascinating. Um, One thing you probably get a lot, and and we see this a lot in a pattern, right? Where some brand is doing Amazon US and they're doing Amazon Canada. And then they're like, hey, I want to go to all these new markets. I want to go to Mercado Libre and I want to do Alibaba and I want to go down Lazada. And we're often like, if you just actually focused on Canada, you would probably do way better than trying to do this massive long tail of stuff. Like, let's just optimize this and actually maximize your kind of return. Do you find that kind of law of diminishing returns on channels as well, where you just feel like you just, instead of going to all these new things, like let's just get the basics done on that one channel. So we find that when you take an omni-channel approach and you go after all of them, you generate quite a bit more revenue in the long run. A lot yeah. of them don't generate as much. So one channel may generate 2%, one may do 5%, one seven, but they're not big movers. But when you add up all these small ones, it really does add up. The big mistake we see people making is, hey, I'm going to move away from Amazon Canada and I'm going to be on there but not focus on it and I'm going to do all these six or seven or eight channels. Yeah, Six or seven or eight channels isn't the issue. The issue is prioritization. So if you got Amazon US down, then you should go get Amazon Canada down if you think it's the next easiest market. Then you can maybe focus on your own website at the same time, get those sales going up. Then you can start adding in the Mercado Libre and a few others. Um, Eventually, yes, you want to go after all the channels that are profitable, but you need to prioritize them because there's no point in being in like Amazon Canada and just doing a mediocre job. You're really not going to get the results. You need to do it all or nothing. Do it right or don't do it. Don't go after eight channels, mediocre. Go after one channel, do extremely well, and then add a second channel and do it really well, and third channel, do it well, etc. You do need to take the big or the approach of going omni-channel, but and you don't want your eggs in one basket, but you really do need to make sure that you're doing them right. So doing them all at once is just not practical unless you have a ton of funding. Yeah. And it makes me think like we call ourselves an accelerator and we fill in these acceleration gaps for brands that can't do it. They, they kind of reach some threshold or maximum capacity of what they can do with internal resources. And then we kind of like fill in the difference. And now that I think about it, you're, you're actually a very probably similar thing because, you know, MP digital, you guys provide services to brands that have also reached some level of inward capacity to help kind of accelerate them across this digital space. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about, you know, uh, everything that you, you do for brands in this space. Yeah. So we, we do everything omni channel. So at NP digital, we will do the SEO, whether it's in marketplace SEO or whether it is on your own website or paid ad management, doesn't matter the platform or email marketing or conversion optimization or content creation or organic social, right? We literally do all the channels you can think about handle SMS, push notifications, the list goes on and on that issue that we find is most companies don't do a channel right. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier in which they try to focus on all of them and just be there because other people are there, but that doesn't work. It only works if you're doing them right and super effective. Um, And then you can use the channels to help each other out by cross promoting and things like that. But that's a big mistake. We see large corporations and even small ones make, they don't put enough resources they underestimate how hard a channel is and how uh, competitive it really is. 
and they just take a mediocre approach and be like, well, if we spend a little bit of time, we'll get something. It's better than nothing. And what they find is like, if you put in 10% of the energy, you see very little to no results. You yeah. put in like 20, 30%, you still see little to no results. But when you start putting in like 90% of the effort, you see almost all the results. And the mistake that they're making is they equate putting a little bit of energy with seeing a little bit of results. And it doesn't really work that well in marketing because it's so competitive on most of these channels. It's like you got to put in a lot of effort to see all the results. And if you don't put in a lot of effort, you barely see anything. It's kind of like an all or none, almost not fully there, but close enough. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you kind of go going back to the original kind of construct of like, what what's the framework you go through, you talked about, you know, looking through uh, the size of the market, then looking at the revenue, then looking at what's working, then what's what's not working. I mean, is that usually what you end up finding is like the stuff that's not working isn't necessarily because it's a bad channel. It's just because they may only be able to give 10 or 20 percent to it where they need to be giving 90 to get the kind of full result. That's one of it. The other reason a lot of these companies aren't growing is the channel that they are focusing on. They're not doubling down on and they're distracted and they focus on too many channels too early. Yeah. So it's funny because it's like at Pattern, I talked to quite a bit of people. One of them was doing, I think, like seven or eight million dollars. And I remember them telling me offline when I was meeting them during the gambling night. It's like, yeah, I can't do much more. I was like, what have you done with that channel? And they were breaking it down. I'm like, you haven't done this, this, and this. You're missing half the stuff. Go double down. And they're like, well, we don't really want to spend the money right now. No one knows where the economy is going to be. And that was a year ago, right? Economy's better now. But I'm like, wait, if you actually think about it, you have a profitable business. You make seven figures and it's from that one channel. Why not go all the way and make it grow? It's already working for you. Take the risk. What's the risk? Worst case. Well, if it doesn't work, I'll end up losing a hundred or something thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah, but you don't have to continue to do it indefinitely. Do it for like three months. If you're getting more traction, do it for another three months. And then if it starts going, go all in. But it's not a, it's not that you put in the money and you lose it forever and you never recuperate. You can cut back on your expenses. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how does that apply, I guess, to your own like personal life and the way you've kind of grown this business? Uh, what are some of the areas where you feel like you've really doubled down on or the other areas where you didn't see a return initially and you kind of like reprioritize back into the way you were talking about? Yeah. So I remember early on my team's like, we got to be big on TikTok. It's huge. I'm like, how many of my clients are going to be on TikTok? Because we're, most of our clients are enterprise. We do have a SMB division as well. Uh, and I was like, all right. And then we were on TikTok and then we didn't do much. And then I was like, guys, Let's go back to Instagram, figure it out. We're already on there. We have the followers. Let's do it right. Yeah. And we cracked the nut on Instagram. Then I'm like, all right, let's get LinkedIn going better. And a few of the other channels that we knew we already had the followers and reach. And then once we, you know, got most of them going to a place where we're happy with and on autopilot, not in which that you don't have to do work, but autopilot in which the systems and process were in place. I'm like, now let's do TikTok. And then it started working out really well because then when you need to focus on it, you can focus on it and do it right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what do you feel like, I mean, you've been in this so long, you've had so much success, you've probably had a ton of failure as well that we don't really talk about. Feel free to bring up. Yeah, <laughs> more, more failures than successes. Everyone's like, oh, overnight success. One, I don't think I'm a success. But two, th there is no overnight. It, it's uh, uh, not smart. I just failed enough eventually 
I got lucky and I figured out what to do and I learned to avoid making the same failures and mistakes over and over again. Yeah. You don't really learn to make the same failure over and over again or avoiding it, but you learn to avoid the same mistake over and over again and that leads you down the right path. But what do you attribute that success to? Like you, you always have, uh, whether you think you're successful or not, like there's always been appeal. You're getting views, you're getting engagement, you're hearing directly from the, li- from the businesses and the lives that you've actually impacted uh, through the strategies that you've helped them execute, like, what do you think the appeal has been? What do you attribute it to? I attribute it to resilience and learning. Yeah. So like, just keep at it. You know, I've been doing this for 21 years now. If you do something long enough, eventually you'll get good at it. So that, and another big thing that no one really talks about, I don't care if you're Elon Musk, I love him to death. I know some people hate him. But I don't care if you're Elon Musk. I, I think he's doing amazing stuff for the world. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. It doesn't matter whatever you think about him politically. I'm just talking about from a business aspect, right? From a business aspect, they're great. You shouldn't bet against them. But they're not amazing on their own. Yeah. They're great because they have a great team. Yeah. And that's what people forget. They don't know everything. They make a lot of mistakes. They're really good because they have amazing team around them. Yes, them as individual contributors, they're great as well. But what really makes these companies big and massive and amazing is the team around them. And if you hire people who have done what you're looking to accomplish and they've done it before and they've done it in your space, there's a higher chance that they'll be able to do it again for you. And that's one of the keys to not just my success, but other people's successes hiring amazing leadership you hire amazing leadership they won't want to work with people who suck that are underneath them because they won't want to micromanage they'll bring in amazing people underneath them those people will bring in amazing people underneath them and so forth so on yeah i mean let's just double click on that for a little bit like who is you don't have to name the name of that person i don't want anyone trying to like steal them away from you but like who's someone that you feel like you're just like you you just nailed that hire like they've taught you so much like what, what did you look for in that person how do they complement what you're already good at what have you learned from them sure so our ceo is named mike gullickson he ran a division called iprospect where he was the president iprospect i think has like four or five six or seven thousand employees decent size um so you can imagine quite a bit of revenue when you're that size right and it was owned by a larger company named densu densu is maybe like a nine or ten billion dollar organization so, and Mike was running one of the most successful divisions within there. He ran an ad agency that's much bigger than ours, really at 700 or something people like that. Yeah. And what Mike did is he doesn't know how to start an ad agency from zero to grow it. But what he's good at is taking something that's already there and doing well and growing and making it even bigger. Right. That's his experience. He did that with iCrossing that sold to Hearst. Um, he did it with Covario, which also sold. So then he successfully did it three times. So we're just like, well, you did it three times in our exact space. We'll pay you well. We'll pay you better than the competition to bring you over. And that model has worked out extremely well because it's not even what they can teach me. They're like, Neil, step out of the way. We know how to do your job better than you. We'll just do it and we'll let you know when we need help. And then you integrate, I'll integrate my way of thinking with his way of thinking. We'll find new ways to collaborate and grow. Totally. What are some of the things that you've learned from, from Mike as he's been on board that, you know, maybe are things that you are actually good at, you just didn't know, or things you're like, I would never be good at that, but I learned a ton just from watching that. What are some of those things? 
neither. I haven't learned in any of those things, but I have learned some things that were eye-opening to me. So um, he was telling me as an industry as a whole, 70 to 80% of it are made from countries outside of the United States, which I knew, but when he started breaking down the countries that bring in the most revenue within the space, you know, as, as a advertising uh, agency vertical or just an ad vertical, I was just like, holy crap, we get all these leads globally. Some of some regions that are big, we don't get many leads. I'm like, we're not in these places. He's like, yes, I know managing directors that have a lot of relationships, et cetera, from the last 15 years at different companies. Let's talk to some of these people. And we started talking to them. We started picking some of them off. So you clear close them. They're like, oh, cool. I'm going to bring X, Y, and Z corporation. I'm like, oh, this is a $30 billion company. He's like, yeah. Another guy, he's just like, yeah, he's running our lab time. He's like, oh, I know this company here in France. Never heard of him. Look him up, $60 billion market cap, right? <laughs> and I was like, all right, I've never heard of him, but I'm down to do business, a good-sized business. You got to pick the right people that know how to grow and have just done it over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think about that so many times in our business too. I'm sure it's the same way. I, I mean, the number of businesses that are doing 10, 20, $30 million a year on Amazon in sales is just mind blowing. The, the, the deals that come across my desk and I'm like, I've never heard of this. And then they're like, yeah. well, they're doing 60 million. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how are they? And it could be, it could be toothbrushes. It could be pumps. It could be, you know, Anything. like baby stuff. Like it's, it's just wild how much crap we buy. Right. Yeah. Like I remember one of our clients is called Fortive. Um, yeah. And Fortive was a spinoff from Danaher. And I was like, never heard of him. And they first, oh, invited. The way we built the relationship was they hit us up and they wanted me to speak at their event to CMOs. And they email and we don't really respond back. And they're like, hey, we're a decent sized company. We're publicly traded. I think they're like, we're like, we're $20 billion, you know? And I used to live in Seattle. And they're like, we're like in Everett or one of those places. I'm like, never heard of you guys. Never been to Everett or anything like that. But there's so many companies, the point I'm getting at, that are just large that we've never heard about and that are part of our daily lives. Just none of us ever think about them. Are there any other like newer platforms or things that people are doing that you find like are just super, super innovative? At this moment, no. I know a lot of people are talking about AI. I think AI is hot, but AI is not hot the way most people are talking about. Um, AI will be hot in three to five years where it can help automate systems and processes. I think AI and marketing is going to be huge in the next two, three years from an analytics perspective yeah. with the cookie changes that are happening it's going to be harder for companies to analyze their data and come up with actionable insights. But if the AI can do that, you're going to see marketing teams be way more efficient in the future. And, and do you see like, um, I don't know, are you, is your team using chat GPT or any of that sort of stuff right now in terms of keyword or in, in terms of content creation? They are, but it, it doesn't solve all the problems. You still need humans to review it and modify it. Like it can help you save like 30 to 50% of the time. It doesn't yeah. have to be percent Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any other, like, I guess you, you talked about this in the beginning, right? Strategies that are working, strategies that are not working. Again, back to, to this concept of like, are the strategies that are working, do you feel like things that people are just naturally excited about and passionate about and therefore they're giving more of that time to? Or do you think there's something super innate about um, some of the strategies that end up working that, that's, um, you know, just kind of make more sense? A lot of it's right time, right place. A lot of it is they understand that strategy or that uh that tactic much better. So they do a better job at it than the others. Um, speaking of strategies that work, 
One that works is sitting right behind you on your wall. Using influencers like the Kristen Bells of the world work extremely yeah. well if they can be part of your business. That's the key. Part of your business. Yeah. Not, hey, I'm Kristen Bell and I got paid a thousand dollars or ten thousand or whatever to post this on TikTok or Instagram. If they're part of your business, EX like a Jessica Alba being part of Honest Company, it's much more effective in the long run. I think Kristen Bell has her own diaper company or something. Yeah, like she that. does. <laughs> so but that strategy is super effective. But even if you look at that, like look at Kylie Jenner. I'm not trying to knock her, done an amazing job, built a quote unquote billion dollar business. I don't think it was really billion dollars. Yeah, but yeah. either way, it was massive, hundreds of millions of dollars. You can't knock that. Same with Rihanna and Fenty. But you, what you can't take for granted is the normal channels to build up businesses. If you look up the beauty industry, there's so many more companies that are much bigger than Kylie Jenner's, uh, Kylie Cosmetics. Does she, did she do a bad job? No. But if you take the old school approach and you hire the people who have been in that industry and know how to grow the traditional ways and combine it with her way, you would have a much bigger company. Yeah, absolutely. And there, it's interesting because there's so much to learn from some of these quote unquote pioneers or people that are, to your point, I mean, you hired a, an industry veteran of someone who's actually really, really good at scaling. They've got the right partnerships. They've got the great relationships that could be with distribution. It could be with manufacturing. Uh, but there's also something super disruptive and raw. I love to go and cruise one of the most, like what are the businesses blowing up on Spotify or TikTok? And they're, I mean, there's 15 year olds, 16 year olds that are just completely hustling and, and trying a new thing. And I think it's, to your point, it's so inspiring to kind of look at the, what the younger generation is doing and kind yep. of learning from their, their innovative, you know, kind of approaches or, or running through walls on stuff for sure. Dude, I, I totally agree. And like, you see some of these kids making so much money from things like, um, what's that site where people post pictures? Some of the celebrities are trying to do it. Uh, some of them post naked pictures, you know, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, other people, whatever they want to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's called. It, it's like that platform where people like subscribe and then they post. Oh like, yeah. They, I mean, there's like Patreon. There's like OnlyFans. There's oh, like, yeah. OnlyFans. There you go. OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah. So, only fans people are making a ton from that people are making a ton from newsletter subscriptions like Substacks and stuff like that there's so many ways these young kids are just making money that a lot of us take for granted now i'm not saying you should do what they're doing i'm not saying everything they do is right or wrong that's for people to decide on their own but more so you should learn about the strategies and the concepts and see if it makes sense to adapt it to your business and again the key is to figure out if it makes sense some of it will not like, it doesn't make sense for me to open an OnlyFans account. I won't do that, right? <laughs> but if someone else wants to do that, that to each their own. But yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, you got to look at their strategies and adapt it. And uh, I remember I was sitting with this marketer named Ryan Dice. Back in the day, digital marketer would do things like, oh, we're going to do launches and, you know, sell ebooks and all that. And I'm like, huh, why don't people do that with software? Take the strategies that he's doing in his industry, yeah. if I it with software, and it worked wonders. Wow. But a lot of people, will knock certain issues like, oh, affiliate marketing, it's dirty. Well, if you can take the tactics, assuming they're clean and ethical and apply it to a legitimate business, you won't have to worry about the sliminess and you can actually grow much faster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. There's so many good points there. Well, um, there's no OnlyFans for Neil Patel, but I guess if you want FaceTime, you're not going to be able to see him without clothes on, I guess. But unless you get crazy, I guess, at the casino night, maybe you'll take off your shirt or something like that. But if you, <laughs> I don't know. I don't drink alcohol, so no one's going to see that either. 
Uh, I know it meant so much though. We actually heard from a lot of attendees of like, oh my gosh, it was so cool. I was like, walk up to them and like chat with them. And uh, I, you, you may not consider yourself a celebrity, but I do think there were a lot of folks that were, were starstruck and, and just, it felt so, you know, I know you're like so down to earth and they just got, were able to, you know, strike up a conversation. It, it meant a lot for sure. It was fun for me too. I love meeting the people. See, it's just like, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not well known in general in life. Sure, maybe in the marketing community a little bit. But the way I look at it is like if you're starting up a new business, I don't care if you've been doing this for one year or 10 years. There's something that I can learn from you that'll teach me a new or a different way, right? And yeah. vice versa. It doesn't matter how rich or poor someone is, or how long someone's been doing or how uh, short they've been doing something. You can always learn something from someone and it can always help you improve yourself and you can always help them improve themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, I, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to chat with you again. Thank you for jumping on this special edition Accelerate podcast. Um, and for those that aren't aware, uh, in Salt Lake City on May 10th and 11th, uh, we're going to be running an amazing e-commerce, you know, show with eight different, you know, tracks around brand control, around e-commerce technology, around trends, around marketplaces, all around the spirit of accelerating brands on e-commerce. We'll have Michael Phelps there. We'll have Jessica Alba there. I think that's going to be announced before we actually go public with this, but that's going to be super exciting to have her there. Oh my gosh, we'll have Amazon, we'll have Mercado Libre, we'll have Meta. Uh, we'll have Neil Patel. So I would say if you are on the fence and if you want to go to an amazing game-changing event this spring, uh, come to Salt Lake City, May 10th and 11th. I think we actually have a, a coupon code. So use NPD20 when you go to accelerationsummit.com and that will automatically apply 20% off. So thank you so much, Neil. Again, that's NPD20 and the website is accelerationsummit.com and we hope to see all of you there and we can't wait to see you there again, Neil. Sounds good. This will be fun. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and we'll look forward to seeing you in person in a couple months here. Same. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leading in E-Commerce. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with your networks if you found it helpful. We'll see you next time.